Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we conclude our series, I Won't Survive the Holidays. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil has us look at Mary and the ways that people, even today, tend to minimize the challenges and issues she faced that first Christmas. Listen as Pastor Dave helps us discover some clues for ourselves when we're struggling with what to do when our world is literally turned upside down. Little boy went to his mom and dad. He said, Mom and Dad, I want a brand new bicycle for Christmas. Mom says, you just got a bicycle a year or two ago. We don't need a new bike. I want a new bicycle for Christmas. You're not getting a new bike. And they went back and forth until finally she said, why don't you go in your room and pray to Jesus and ask him for a new bike? So he said, okay. So he went into his room and he knelt by his bed and he said, dear Jesus, because I've, this past year I've been a perfect boy, I want a brand new bike for... He stopped and he thought and he started to pray again. He said, dear Jesus, because most of the time I've been a good boy this past year, I, I really want a bicycle for... He stopped again and he said, dear Jesus, because occasionally I've been a good boy, I want to... He stopped, you know, he didn't want to lie in his prayers. And so he just stopped and he thought and he had a great idea. So he went to the living room. They were a Catholic family. They had a little uh, statue of Mary in the living room. And so they grabbed it. He grabbed the statue. He took it to its room. He wrapped the statue in a blanket, put it, put the statue underneath the bed. He knelt down. He said, dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, I want a new bike for Christmas. <laughs> Uh, we are uh, wrapping up our series talking about surviving the holidays, and uh, we've talked about uh, we've talked about Joseph last week. We talked about the Magi, and today I want to talk to you about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, she is normally elevated far, far beyond the status sometimes that the Bible gives us, and, and in some cases we minimize the challenges, the issues that she went through that very first Christmas, as her world was literally turned upside down as maybe your world has been turned upside down in the past month or in this past year and what i want to do is look at her story and give you some ideas and some principles of well what do i do what do we do when our world is literally turned upside down if you have a bible matthew uh, sorry luke chapter one is where we're going to be this morning grab your study guide if you want to jot some notes down we're going to start in luke chapter one verses 26 and 27, and then there's a couple other verses that we're going to jump to. Here's what we read. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. In other words, they were engaged, okay? They had a, the marriage had been arranged. They were engaged. They were just waiting for her to get to a certain age, and they're ready to go. They're going to get officially married. Uh, he was a descendant of David, it says. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, you jump ahead if you're in your Bibles to verse 31. And the angel says to her, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. They have another little side conversation. And finally, Mary in verse 34 asks this question. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, before we jump into the principles, let me just take you on a real quick theological tangent. There, there is one word that is repeated in, in Luke chapter one versus the other, other books. And it's this word right here. It's the word virgin that... Mary was a virgin. She had not had sexual relations with any man or with Joseph uh, when God placed the child, Jesus, in her womb. Now, uh, churches, Christians, Christendom for history has made a very big deal about this. Uh, it's in major creeds. 
Um, if anyone ever goes any direction of not believing this, you know, some Christians, you know, their neck veins stand out and they get really upset. What's the big deal about Mary being a virgin? I mean, could God not have taken Mary and Joseph? They have a baby and he, God uses that baby as he's used many other men and women to change and transform the world. Why could God have not done that? Well, in this case, uh, there are three very significant theological reasons why Mary's virginity is significant to our relationship with God. Let me just take you there real quick and then we'll get to the principles, but it's important. Um, number one, it reminds us that salvation comes only through God. The salvation that we have and that we inherit into eternity comes only when God intercedes in history. This is not about a man and a woman coming together and they produce a baby and then God kind of sort of does his thing. No, it's all God. And right from the very beginning, even the birth of the Messiah, it's all God. The second point is that it guarantees that Christ does not inherit the sin nature. What does that mean? Very simply, we are told in the Bible that we are born with a sin nature. We don't learn to sin. No, we already know how to sin when we are born. If you don't believe me, all you got to do is peek in the nursery this morning. Now, they are some cute babies in there, but I'm telling you, if you look into the little glass and no one else is looking and they look around and make sure the children's workers aren't paying attention, they will steal toys from each other, pull each other's hair, gouge their eyes out. I mean, I'm not saying it's happening right now if you have a kid in there, but you know what I mean. You don't have to teach a kid to misbehave. We inherit it from our parents. Because our parents are sinful, our children are sinful. It is a law. This can't happen with Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Because he has to give us, number one, salvation. And the only way you have salvation is if you have a perfect sacrifice. And you can't have a perfect sacrifice if even you have the sin nature in you. So, so God has to make sure that, oh, no, no, this isn't going to be a, a man and a woman coming together. I, I, I've got I've to come up with a new formula. And thus he places a child in the womb of Mary. Well, why couldn't he just have, you know, made a man appear? Why even mess with, with, you know, having it, having a birth the normal, natural ways? Because of number three, it makes possible, and this is significant, that Jesus is both God and man. For this salvation plan to work, he's got to be both God, because it's the ultimate sacrifice, and it's got to be man proving that, in fact, man could have obeyed the law. And so this is very significant that Mary was a virgin having had no sexual relations with Joseph or any other man for theological reasons. Without that, you and I don't get this plan called salvation. Does that make sense? But today we're, we're not here to talk about uh, Mary's virginity. We're talk, talking about her problems the significant issues that she had. Now, just real quick, I, I know you know the story, but there's at least three reasons why that qualify why Mary's world really turned upside down. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I don't know if you realize how old she was, but Bible students are, are quite convinced at the, at, the, at the oldest, she's 16. Oldest. Most likely she's 14 or a little bit younger. Now, I realize in that culture, in that day and age, they had babies earlier. I, I get that. But she's 15. We've all either had a relative or a friend or someone that we went to high school with, or maybe you 
were 15 and pregnant. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember your friend? Do you remember that cousin that had experienced this? You talk about their life getting turned upside down. Basically a kid having a baby. What makes this even worse is, is, is this is not some, some teenager in the backseat of a car getting hot and heavy with her boyfriend. Oh, well, you should have known better. That's not what this is. This is out of nowhere. God places a child in her womb. We, we could stop right there. But, but it gets worse. She ba- breaks up with Joseph. They're engaged to be married. Like I mentioned, they're just right, getting waiting to, 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 to have their official marriage day. Um, and frankly, and we talked about this last week, Joseph does not believe her story. That's why he breaks up with her. Again, have you ever had a friend that got engaged and then broke up? Do you remember how that deal went down? Everybody was excited and they put it on Facebook and everybody was congratulations. And then something happened. Yeah, I know it's off. Someone's messed up or I, yeah, no, this isn't going to work. That's what happens with, with Mary and Joseph. And Joseph says, now I, I don't want to be with you anymore. And, and then you've got to read between the lines, but it's there. Right after she finds out she's pregnant, she, she leaves to, to Elizabeth's home. Why? Because of that last bullet point. She's either been kicked out of the home or she's running away from the home. Either mom and dad said, yeah, Mary, come over here. You best pack up your stuff and get out. You should know better. Get out. Go live with Elizabeth. Get out of here. Or Mary knows I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to embarrass my parents. I'm going to pack my bag and get out of here. So you've got a 15-year-old kid that is now pregnant, just broke up with her fiancé, and mom and dad just asked you to move out. I, I, I think that qualifies as having your world turn upside down. What do you think? Some of you have had your world turn upside down, like I said, this past couple months or this past year. Maybe it's been financial issues, or maybe it's been physical issues. Maybe it's been relational issues, or marriage issues, or kid issues, or job issues. And it's been tough. And like Mary, we're trying to just hang on. We're just trying to cope. How do I do this? What do I do? So what I want to do is, based upon this incredible woman, um, is look at her life and give you some ideas of how do I hang on? What, what do I do? Okay. And the first thing I want to encourage you, if you're jotting down notes, is, is very simply this. I want to encourage you to develop a strong, I put in three words there because I didn't know which one to pick. So you pick the one you like the most. Develop a strong and a healthy and a vibrant relationship with God. It's got to be a real and an honest relationship with God. Okay? Not one of these quote-unquote fake relationships. Uh, it, what we read is the story uh, goes on in verse 28 is this. It says, the angel went to her and, and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Here we go, the same idea. You, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. Right from the get-go, we see that Mary is special. Uh, that, that's why some Christians elevate her almost to the place of Jesus. She is, she's highly favored. She's not just somewhat favored. 
She's just, she, she's just not above average. No, she is highly favored, right? If we were doing a fantasy draft pick of all the Bible characters, she was number one pick. She's highly favored, right? Now, we're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's how God is sometimes. Don't you have this sense that, that God ranks us? Don't you get that sense? Based upon kind of who we are and how we live and how much we throw in the offering and how much we help. and all. He ranks us. You know, and there's some, some people kind of at the bottom of the rank. Guys like, yeah, I guess you can come in the family. Okay, you're in. And then there's some that are kind of in the middle of the pack. You know, we do the best we can, but, you know, we're, we're like the C-plus students. We, 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 we passed and we graduated, but, yeah, you know, we didn't graduate with honors. And then there's the above average. I mean, those, those are the people that, you know, you, you know, they're, they're the ones that wear name tags and get to stand up here and they get their name in the bulletin. And then above that, you've got the highly favored. I mean, Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, you know, the highly favored. I think instinctively we, we have this idea that God ranks us. One small issue with that thought. The word, and it's only one Greek verb in Luke chapter 1, the Greek verb that we translate into our English Bibles, highly favored, appears two and only two times in the New Testament. Now, as, as you're studying God's word, when something like that happens, the first thing you want to do is what? You want to find the other place that that word is used because it gives you some sort of hint and description about what is it really saying about Mary here? Do you understand that Bible study methodology. Now, I'm going to show you Luke chapter 1. The other place that happens is Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 6, and here's what it says. Paul says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he, speaking of God, hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now, we translate it accepted in Ephesians 1. In Luke chapter 1, we translate it highly favored. But it's the same Greek verb. It's the same Greek word. Now, the question you then want to ask is, in Ephesians 1, who is Paul talking about? We know who he's talking about in Luke chapter 1, but who is he talking about in Ephesians chapter 1? And the answer is, every single one of you. Every single one of you, according to Paul, is accepted and highly favored by God. You're not at the bottom of the rank. No, you're not a C-plus student in God's eyes. No, you are highly favored. In other words, what Mary gets and what she got, you get. You get God's presence. You get God's power. You get God's blessing. Everything Mary received, you get to receive because you also are accepted and highly favored by God. Help me out. Someone say amen. That's the place where you want to say it right there. Turn to the person next to you and say, Merry Christmas. You are highly favored. And say it with passion. Go do it right now. Don't look at me. This is important. You've got, if your world is turned upside down, develop a healthy relationship, vibrant relationship with God. Now, I think we overcomplicate things sometimes. If I were to stand up here and say... You've got to develop a healthy relationship with your boss and your coworkers. Instinctively, I wouldn't have to say anything else. And you would say, okay, then I have to stop doing this. I got not as long lunch breaks and I got to make, you know, make all that stuff and get off of Facebook and that's on. You know how to do that. If I were to say, you, you got to improve your relationship with your classmates. Those of you who are students, 
Okay, I, I got to start doing this and stuff. You instinctively know what to do. If I were to say to you, you've got to, you got to get a little bit better with your family members. Can you improve that relationship? Instinctively, those of you who are kids, okay, I got to stop sassing my mom. And those of you who are parents, oh God, I'm not, you know, get on my kid's, kid's, kid's case and, and choke him as often. And, you know, and if, if, if we're married, you kind of know what to do. Instinctively, I know if I tell you how to build a better relationship with all these different groups, we know. But the minute we had the last word of point number one up there, improve your relationship with God, we're like, yeah, no, I don't know what to do. And what I want to explain to you is it's not that complicated. Don't overcomplicate what it means to increase and improve your relationship with God. The most important person in my life, Sandy, and I, my wife, have gone through different stages in our relationship. And each stage, we've tried to improve, strengthen, make more vibrant and healthy. I want to show you how our stages have worked. And then I'm going to show you how it's pretty much the same with God. Let me show you real quick. Here's the four stages Sandy and I have gone through. Dating stage. What's the dating stage? That's when you're basically checking the other person out, trying to decide, do I want to be with them? Now, I... Decided very, very quickly when I met her. She's smart. She's good looking. She's going to be a CPA. She can pay for my seminary bills. She's in. (laughs) Let's do this. Now, Sandy took a little bit longer to come to that conclusion, as you may well imagine. I had to beg, you know, I had to grovel. I withheld information like my misdemeanor when I was a teenager. All these things so that she would say yes, right? So you get to the dating stage and you're going out and we're going to Chevy's in a movie and trying to talk and, and you go through the dating stage. And then at some point in time, you get to stage number two. It's called the wedding day. The wedding day where you stand up before your family and friends and you hold hands and you say, I do. I do. I'm committed to make this work up and down, good and bad, rich and poor. I do. I'm in it. I'm making a commitment. It's a commitment. It's very, very different kind of commitment than the dating stage. And then, then begins the marriage stage. This, this begins the process where I am with her and she is with me all the time. And everything changes when that happens. Have you noticed this? Because she discovers my flaws and I discover her flaws. And then we have to go back and remember, I do. And we keep working at it and we keep developing it. And we keep improving it. And we keep trying to do all these to make our relationship better. Now, at stage three, Sandy and I were fun, exciting, energetic people that had money in our pockets, and then stage four happened. (laughs) If you have not arrived to stage four, just let me let you in on one little secret. For the first 10 years of stage four, you will be tired and broke, normally both. Isn't it true, as a married couple, you get to stage four, and things tweak a little bit because now you have these these little mini-me's running around the house, right? And it changes the dynamics. Now, this is the stage and, and, and the phases of my relationship with my wife, Sandy. And in each stage, I've made different decisions and we've done different actions to improve our marriage. Do you know that you could use these same stages to refer to your relationship with God? Same stages. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put it up here. Some of you are at stage one. You just kind of came here today maybe a a friend or a relative invited you and you're like sure i'll go with you and you're doing it because of them and we're glad you're here could i encourage you to consider a long-term relationship with god 
just like you would in a dating stage, check it out. And when I mean check it out, check it out. Try and really figure out what, what, what is this book saying? Try and really figure out this whole thing about the birth and then the resurrection and the, figure it out. Ask good questions. Ask hard questions. Don't just stroll in here and come back at Easter. Figure it out. Now, some of you, if I'm going to be honest and frank, you've spent far too much time in stage number one. Have you ever met a guy that's been dating a girl for like seven years? Have you ever met? We all have friends like that, don't we? And we all, you know, hi, how are you guys doing? You know, I'm behind their If you're that guy, we talk about you behind your back. And we're like, what is his problem? Give her a ring or let her go. What's wrong? And some of you do that with God. You're like, no, nah, I'm not sure yet. No, I need to find out. We got to go on more dates. Some of you got to get to stage two. You've got to make a commitment. I am not going to be able to answer all your questions. I'm sorry. And even if I could, you wouldn't understand them. At some point in time, you have to get a hold of Jesus' hands and say, I do. I do. I want to accept you as my Savior. I do. And then begins the process of living day by day with Jesus Christ, going to stage number three, growing your relationship. By the way, if Sandy, if I told you Sandy and I next year are not going to communicate at all, a year from now, do you think my relationship would be better or worse? I'm surprised that you're so surprised that your relationship with God is so cold when you don't communicate with him. You follow? If that's how it works between Sandy and me, what? it's the same with Jesus. If you are not listening to him on a regular basis, if you are not talking to him and this thing called prayer in a regular basis, you don't need a counselor, you don't need a pastor. I'm going to tell you right now, your relationship with God's going to be sucky. That word's not in the Bible. That's my word, but it gets my point across. I don't, I don't know how to get, if you're not spending time communicating with God, I can't do anything for you. And some of you are wondering, I made a decision and now I'm living with Jesus and it doesn't seem very exciting. You've got to make that commitment to live daily with God, not just show up once a week and sort of hear from him. Some of us have been and done a good job at stage number three. You've got to go to stage number four. You've got to multiply your faith in other people. A study has been done about church-going people in the United States of America, and they tried to identify the people that were most unhappy at America in America at church. Do you know what they discovered? The most unhappy, unfulfilled people at church in America are the most mature, longest saved Christians. Does that make sense? It's not the newcomer. No, it's the person who's been saved. They've been a Christian for years. They are the most unfulfilled and unhappy people at church. And they they said, that seems weird. They love Jesus the most. They're more committed the most. Why are they the most unhappy? And here's what they discovered. Because they discovered that some, many Christians in that stage 
have thought that they can live in stage number three forever. They could come to church and just think, feed me, feed me, feed me, tell me more, tell me more. And they get to a point in their life where they go, I don't know, I didn't learn anything from the pastor today. I know that story. When is he going to tell me something new? Have you ever come to church for like a month on end and not learn anything new? You know why? I I hesitate to say that you know this book, but some of you, you know this book. You already know it. I don't have any more. I can't come up with a new Christmas story for you. There's like six passages and that's it. I'm going to preach this same sermon like five years from now. You're going to go, I think I heard this before. You know why? Some of us have to realize that at some point in time, it stops becoming feed me, and now I'm going to try and feed someone else. Just like Sandy and I create little mini-me's and we multiply, you need to multiply your faith. It's called discipleship. And every single, I, I, I dare to say, every one of you that's been a Christian for four to five years has the ability to do that beyond what you can imagine. You really can. If your world's turned upside down, could I encourage you? Have a vibrant relationship with God. Develop that. Let's move on. Second thing I want to encourage you to do, your world turns upside down, is don't freak out. Stay calm. There's a lot of emotion in, in, the, in this chapter and in the Christmas story. The angel went to her and he said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled. I would think just having an angel come before you would already be enough. But not only does she have the angel, but she has the message. She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. She's troubled. She's afraid. Herod's upset. He's angry. The shepherds are homeless. How do you think they feel that night? There's a lot of emotion going on in the Christmas story. And when your world gets turned upside down, one of the things you have to make sure and do is don't freak out, stay calm. Why? Because if you're agitated or you're angry or you're upset or you're fearful, normally the words you say and the actions you do in that state aren't always the best. Would you agree with me? So you've got to lower that emotion, stay calm, and then make decisions. Someone sent me this email. I thought it was pretty good. It it, it was the recording of a customer service call. You know how when you call for tech support or something, they say, can we record this? This is an re- actual recording from someone who called a, a Microsoft person to kind of help. And th- this is how it went. Let me read it to you. Starts out, Ridge Hall Computer Assistance, may I help you? Well, yes, I'm having a problem with my Microsoft Word and Excel. Well, what's the trouble? Well, I was just typing along and all of a sudden the words went away. But went away? They disappeared. Hmm. So what does your screen look like now? Nothing. Nothing? Yeah, it's blank. It won't accept anything when I type. Are, are you still in, in, in Word or did you get out? Uh, how can I tell? Uh, never mind. Can, can you move the cursor around the screen? There isn't any cursor. I told you it won't accept anything I type. Does your monitor have a power indicator? <laughs> Here, you could tell right away. It, gets, it goes south quick. What's a monitor? <laughs> it's the thing with the screen on it that looks like a TV. Does it have a little light that tells you when it's on? I don't know. Well, then look at the back of the monitor and find the power cord that, that goes into it. Can you see that? Yes, I think so. Great. Follow the cord to the plug and tell me if, if it's plugged into the wall. Yes, it is. When you were behind the monitor, did you notice that there were two cables plugged into the back of it, not just one? No. 
Well, there are. I need you to look back there and find the other cable. Okay, is it here? Here it is. Follow it for me. Tell me if it's plugged securely into the back of your computer. I can't reach. Uh, well, can you see if it is? No. Even, even if maybe you put your knee on something and lean way over. Oh, no, it's not because I don't have the right angle. It's because it's dark. Dark? Yes, the office light is off, and the only light I have coming in is from the window. Well, then turn on the office light. I can't. No, why not? Because there's a power failure. A power failure? Ah, okay, I've got it licked now. Do you still have the boxes and manuals and the packing stuff your computer came in? Well, yes, I keep them in the closet. Good. Get them, unplug your system, pack it up just like it was when you got it, take it back to the store where you bought it from. Really, is it that bad? Yes, I'm afraid, it's really bad. Well, all right then, I suppose. What do I tell them? Tell them you're too beeping stupid on a computer. This person was fired is now suing the company for wrongful termination. Let me ask you a question. When people frustrate you, when people frustrate you, do you stay calm? When the traffic is congested, do you stay calm? When the doctor says, I need you to come back in, the the test results don't look good, do you stay calm? When the kids won't shut up, do you stay calm? When your boss and co-workers, and I mean, I could go on and on, can't I? One of the significant Christmas stories as the angels speak to the shepherds is this idea that God has come to bring peace on earth. The problem is some of us are allowing hurricanes to roam around in our soul. If your worlds turn upside down, don't freak out. Try and stay calm. Now, just real quickly, how how do I do? I don't know how to do this, Dave. Real quickly, let me show you. Practically, don't do or say anything before you think. I mean, this is not in your notes. Just pick one. Some of you are looking, right? We could still hear from Jesus if it's not in your notes. Trust me. Okay, (laughs) here we go. Second of all, theologically, when we talked about this last week, remember, God's got this. But I don't understand. You don't have to understand. We throw around this word called sovereignty. God's got this. So, Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay at peace. N- number three, relationally, talk to calm, stable friends. Don't we have different, all different style of friends? We have the calm, stable, reliable, calm, wise friend. And then we have the crazy, fun, let's go camping with them friends. You know, in the midst of your world get turned upside down, there's some friends you got to avoid because they make it worse. Find the friend that is calm, stable, mature, and wise, and spend time talking to them. They will help you process it. And finally, spiritually, ask God to help you out. When your world turns upside down, don't freak out. Stay calm. Number three, let's keep moving. Get some God power. You need to get some God power. What do I mean? Verse 29 and 30. Uh, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary? Asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Here it comes. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born 
to be born will be called the son of God. If your world's turned upside down, you need God's power and his presence in your life. Now, real quickly, let me give you some Bible terms related to the spirit. Born of the spirit, that's when you accept Christ as your savior. Gifts of the spirit is abilities God gives you. Fruit of the spirit is attitudes I have as a result of God being and living in me. But when you get God's power, it's the last one. It's called filled with the spirit. Paul talks about it in Ephesians. He says, this is basically when you further obey and trust in God. If you want God's power, you need to obey him and trust him more. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to impact every area of your life. Now, let me explain this to you. I got a little visual I want to show you. I want you to pretend that these two glasses represent two different lives. Okay. And when This is your body, and God gives each and every one of us a soul. You have the outside part of us, and you have the inside part of us. Now, when you get saved, God gives you the Holy Spirit. Now, for the sake of just our arguments, the Holy Spirit's going to be crystal light this morning. That's all I got, right? So God gives you the Holy Spirit, right? And when the Holy Spirit, by the way, when we talk about dear Jesus come into my life, it's, it's technically the Holy Spirit coming into your life and the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And if it happens the way it should happen, people can tell there's a difference. You've got the Holy Spirit now living in you. You look different. You taste different. You sound different. Something happened. God's in them now. Some of us, however, when we come to Christ and we say yes to Jesus, we also get the Holy Spirit in us, but it looks a little bit different. Do both of these people have the Holy Spirit in them? Technically, yes. Both of them have the Holy Spirit in them. The problem is is that some of us have really allowed the Holy Spirit to change and to impact and to redeem every part of our life, our finances and our relationships and the way we talk and who we hang out with and our career and all, it impacts all of us. Others of us were technically saved. Oh yeah, I know you, you went, you know, at that one camp, you accepted Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I know at that one service, you accepted Jesus. I'm going to be honest with you. When I and when others look at your life, we can't tell. It's very interesting. At this point in time, the person you say this to, they automatically go, stop judging me. I'm not judging you. I'm just observing and making judgments based upon what I see. And I see that God is making little to no impact in your life whatsoever. What am I supposed to think? Can I ask you a question? What does your life look like? When people look at you, can they tell you're different? Are you a changed person? Or is it just talk? See, the reason some of us are struggling to experience the presence of God and the power of God is because we have not allowed the Holy Spirit to fill us and to change us and to transform us. And so when you come to me and say, Pastor, what do I do? 
I, I can't even talk to you about your problems. I just want to talk to you about what role do you think God is supposed to have in your life? What role? And what's even more interesting to me is that there are some of us that are living this life and we don't think much of God and they will disappear for five years. Once mom and dad stop forcing them to come to church, they won't. And I'll see them seven years from now when their life falls apart and they'll ask God, uh, Dave, why? And I'll say, You technically had the spirit in you, but you let him make no difference in your life. If your life has been turned upside down. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to allow him to change and transform you. Let's wrap this up. Just a couple more. Number four, serve God how and where he wants. In verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive, it is in the sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be with me, uh, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. That word servant is an interesting word. We don't use it very often, do we? Maybe in a day, day that's gone, if you were really wealthy, you'd talk about servants. You know, servants that work in my house and servants that wash my laundry and servants that work my lawn. And I have my servants. Now we're far too sophisticated to call them servants. We may call them employees and I contract and pay someone to mow my lawn. And it, but we don't call them servants. It's, that's a derogatory term. Do you know, understood correctly, that's what you and I exactly are in our relationship with God. He is the master and I am the servant. In some cases, translated slave. In other words, what he says, I do. I do. That's what that means. Don't you find it rather strange that we would ask God, God, my life's fallen apart Help me, bless me, get me out of this financial mess, take care of me, heal me, help me, 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 me. And yet so many of us are unwilling to do anything to build God's kingdom. Doesn't that strike you a little strange? Do you need God's power and presence in your life? Part of it is start helping, start serving. Do something. Yeah, and what I'd like to suggest is serve where and how God wants. You say, what does that mean? What are you good at and where are their needs? Just answer those two questions. What am I good at? What can I do? What I like to, and where are their needs? You know, in the bulletin, talk of where, where, you know, or now it doesn't even have to be in the church. But if your world's turned upside down, here's the key. And this is a very important principle. I can't spend a lot of time talking about it, but it's very important. Don't make life all about you and your issues and your problems. Don't do that. It actually makes it worse. Figure out a way to stop looking at yourself and to serve. Do something. Be productive. Help. Let me give you the last one and I'm going to wrap it up. Make sure you have a can-do attitude. Have a can-do attitude. Verse 39 to 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. 
her relative. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, and we're going to repeat this later, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Let's put the next bit. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, this is very significant and important to understand what Elizabeth is saying. You have to understand the context of the gospel of Luke. No other gospel has this. This one does. And what Elizabeth is doing in the highlighted phrase is she's contrasting Mary's belief and her husband's belief. You go, what are you talking about? In in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, it starts out with the introduction. And then the birth of John the Baptist is foretold. Now, this is Zachariah. It's going to be Zachariah and Elizabeth's kid. They are an elderly couple. They've tried to have kids, haven't been able to have kids for all this time. And finally, she gets pregnant, Elizabeth. But just before, an angel had come and told Zachariah, you're going to have a kid. Now, it's not a miracle baby, technically. Biologically, they can still have kids. It's not just very usual. It's a unique. It's a couple that has a kid and they're a little bit older. Zachariah doesn't believe. He doubts. Mary, on the other hand, is told this wild story about how she's going to give birth, though she is a virgin. And blessed is she who believes in the Lord. When your world turns upside down, you have to have a can-do attitude. Now, when I say having a can-do attitude, I'm not talking about you personally. I'm not trying to help you be self confident in yourself that turns me into a motivational speaker and i have no problem motivating you but this is not about me standing up and thinking to myself i'm good enough and i'm i'm strong enough and i'm gifted enough i can do it no it's not about a can-do attitude about me and my abilities no it's a can-do attitude about god and his power and strength it's not about me trying to pull it off it's the fact that god can pull it off and if there's ever a time in the year ever a time in the year where we need to have a can-do attitude because of who God is, it's right now in the Christmas story. I'm going to wrap up by showing you kind of a fun, feel-good video that I came across. I'll tie it in, and then we'll wrap up. Let's watch this last video. I watched that video. I watched that video, and I had a couple thoughts. Uh, First thought was, next time we fly, we're going to try WestJet and see if they (laughs) won. The second thing is I thought, I, you know, I thought about that one guy that asked for socks and underwear. I'm thinking, what an idiot. Come ask for a Rolex or something. You know, if that's what a creative company and a mythical figure can do for us, how much more could our Heavenly Father do? Life wasn't easy that first Christmas, as it is for many of you right now. It may not be as big of issues as Mary had, or Joseph, but not everything's going the way you'd hoped. Could I encourage you, make sure you have a can-do attitude. 
Not about your abilities and about your strength. But about who God is. And what his plan for your life is. Figure out a way to stop making life all about yourself. And find somewhere, someone you can serve. Some of us are not living with the power of God's Holy Spirit because we have not allowed Him into places and rooms in our life. And I'm just suggesting maybe, maybe today's the day, maybe next year's the year you go, hey, you get all of me, God. You get all of me. Some of us are controlled by our emotions. And it's time to realize and reflect, God's got this. But if there's anything I want to draw your attention to is that very first point we talked about. I want you to develop a vibrant relationship with God. I want it to be real. And what step you take is based upon your journey and where you're at. But every one of you, including myself, needs a next step. What's your next step? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the word. Your word that continually strengthens us, comforts us, challenges us, pushes us in the right direction. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters, for my friends whose life right now is challenging for whatever the reason is. It's difficult and they feel like life's got turned upside down. Father, I pray that through your word this morning, you would have spoken to them and they have heard you. And they've been encouraged. And they've been given hope. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here today and you've been dating God for a long time but never taken that step of commitment and today you want to do that could I just encourage you just pray this simple prayer in your heart dear God as best as I know how today I say I do I don't have all my questions answered I don't know enough about the Bible to find some of the books but I believe in your son Jesus not only the, the Jesus that was born in a manger, but the Jesus that died on the cross for my sins. So, dear God, today, as best as I know how, I do. Why don't you all stand with me and we'll wrap up. Dear Heavenly Father, not all of us will be together as a church, as a congregation, this coming Tuesday night for our Christmas Eve service at I just pray for everyone as they travel. I pray that as we spend time with friends and family members, give us patience. Give us grace. Father, remind us that your Holy Spirit lives and works within us. And Father, as we are with our family and with whoever we're going to be, Father, I pray that they could tell that there's a difference in our life. That we do not have to uh, have everything perfect in our life to be the kind of people that are gracious and kind and loving. Father, I'm so incredibly grateful for the Christmas season. Not just all the fun things we get to do, but most importantly, because of what it represents biblically. Father, we realize you didn't have to do this. But we're so incredibly grateful for that. 
And we just want to say thank you. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.